You are listening to the ARB podcast. Tune in as you stir yourself up by filling your ears with the anointed messages of faith as you strengthen your spirit at any time of day. And we'll see you on the other side of faith. Come on, shout a hallelujah. hallelujah. Wow, jeez. Some people are excited here. I said shout a hallelujah. hallelujah. All right. Tonight's going to be very interesting because there's something that God put in my heart and there's a message that he placed on the inside of me. And I believe that those people that are here tonight, God is going to release a special anointing on those people to carry signs, wonders and miracles across the nation of America and across the world. You know, people have been talking to me and people have been telling me, you know, why do you give so much importance to healings and miracles? Like every night that you were here, you pray for the sick. You know, why do you always keep doing that over and over again? I'm like, wow, that's a good question. <laughs> like, why do you pray for the sick? Uh, because uh, I'm not compassionate at all towards the people. That's why. And, you know, people send these crazy questions across me on Instagram. It, 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 I always find it funny. But here's the thing. Let me tell you this. Jesus did not always multiply the food, nor did he always walk on the water. He didn't always give word of knowledge, but he always healed the sick. Hallelujah. And that's why I give so much importance to healings, miracles, and signs and wonders. And even though people don't understand it or people don't get why I do it, you'll see why. And, you know, I remember when uh, I had my uh, healing ministry begin, you know, uh, when I was just 13 years old and I was preaching everywhere, praying for the sick and everything. And then uh, suddenly came a time when nobody even cared about a healing ministry. Are you listening to me? Like people were like, oh, healing ministry, like whatever, you know. And uh, I, I remember myself sitting, I, I remember sitting by myself one day and I was praying. I said, God, I carry a gift that you've given me that not a lot of people have and carry the way I carry it. But I said, unfortunately, Lord, there doesn't seem to be a need for the gift anymore. I said, Lord, what am I doing with this gift and there's no need for it? I'm like, what's the point of my ministry? I came to that point in my life. I'm not even kidding. And then I sat down and as I was saying that, the Lord said to me, shut up, you know. He says that to me a lot, you know. <laughs> And uh, as the Lord said that to me, I said, why, why, why do you say that? And the Lord said this to me very clearly. He said, son, though at this very moment, people might not think that the healing ministry is important. But he said, there is coming a time when the only thing that will be important is a healing ministry. And he said, I'm preparing you for that time and I'm preparing you for that moment when your ministry will be needed. And, you know, obviously we had crusades and miracles and everything happening, but, you know, people are like, oh, healing ministry, whatever. Because now you have these illustrative sermon preachers, you know. It's, I mean, people, like, have all, do, do, do all kinds of crazy things on the stage. People, like, ride horses on the stage. I mean, all that kind of stuff. People are way more interested in that stuff than they were with the power of God. But let me ask you today, there is no cure for COVID-19. If you think this is the only disease that they're going to release, I promise you there are far worse things that they've even planned. 
The only option is going to be to carry the power of God and nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else is going to help you. Nothing else is going to save you. And obviously this is not the main part of my message. And the reason I'm saying this to you today is because I'm going to lay hands on every single person here today. And there is going to be a special impartation on people here today. You know why? Let me tell you why. You know, a lot of times, a lot of preachers are swayed by the idea of how many people turn up to the service. And you know, obviously today was, there was a thunderstorm, whatever. It's amazing to see so many people still here today, regardless of that. And if anything, I'm encouraged to know that there are still hungry people out there. You know. And uh, let me tell you this. And the reason I wanted to do an impartation service today for Healings, Miracles, Signs, and Wonders is because if people can drive through a thunderstorm to get to the service, then they deserve to be laid hands on. Are you listening to me? And so the Lord spoke to me today and said, you're going to lay hands on people today. And, I'm, and the Lord said, you're going to impart what you carry upon their lives. And they will start seeing signs, wonders, and miracles operating through their lives. Not, not a year from now. Right now, after I lay my hands on you. And so I'm excited about tonight. I just, that was just like the introduction to my message. But that wasn't even the main part, you know. <laughs> but open your Bibles quickly with me. I'm going to first talk about giving. Why do I do that? Because it's, it's probably the most important thing. Now, today I'm going to talk to you about a few things. I'm going to talk to you about my testimony. I'm going to talk to you about different things that have happened in my life. Because I feel like it's important to share that with you guys. Because a lot of times, a lot of things in your life can get you um, weighed down. And the, and the world and whatever's happening around it can weigh you down to come to a point where you stop believing in the supernatural of God. And you have to understand, be it miracles, signs, wonders, or divine provision, every single one of those things have to be divine in nature and supernatural. Are you listening to me? If you look at the multi-millionaires, the multi-billionaires of today, how do you think they got rich? Without the supernatural? Obviously with the supernatural, but the wrong kind of supernatural. So the only way for you to prosper or to be rich is by the supernatural, the supernatural alone. Either you sell your soul to the devil to get rich or you belong to Jesus. There's nothing in between. I remember one day I was walking down, uh, you know, uh, I was walking in New York and uh, we, we were walking down Times Square, uh, me and a friend of mine, a businessman, and we were walking down there. And I was standing, I was looking at all these high rises around me. And I saw it and I thought to myself, I said, God, this isn't fair that all these unbelievers have all these high rises around me and I don't have one. I said, I want a high rise that looks just like that. And the Lord said to me, done. Listen to me. And then... A couple of weeks after that, I had a dream. And I was sleeping one night, and I had this very clear and vivid dream, which actually kind of freaked me out. I saw myself in like a massive ballroom with a whole bunch of people standing in front of me, 
everybody wearing suits and they were almost glowing. And I'm standing on a stage like this. And I see this table in front of me. And I'm standing here. I don't know why I'm here or why I'm even standing here at that, at, at that very moment. But I'm standing there. And I look up and I see Jesus on my side here. And as I saw that, I couldn't see his face. But all I saw was this. I saw a document in front of me. And I didn't understand what the document was. And the Lord said, read it. And he pointed at it. And I went and I looked down and I read it. It said $1 billion. All right. Now let's hold on there. When I read that, I was like, $1 billion, what is that about? And the Lord looks at me and he says, I've approved it in heaven and it will be on earth very soon. And when he said that, it hit me so hard. And then here's the best part. Then Jesus leaned over and he signed that document. And then he said, now you sign it. And I signed that as well. And then I woke up. And the Lord said to me, son, I want you to know, there is only one unifier in this world that is money. The world is unified by one thing and one thing alone, which is the lust and the love of money. They serve a God called mammon. And they sacrifice their homes, their lives, their children, their family, everything that they own at the altar of mammon. If you've ever read any business books, if you've ever been to that, I don't read business books. Hello? All right, just to give you a background before I go ahead with this. Now, as I, I want you to know the greatest unifier is money, but here's, here's what, I, what I want you to understand today. People are in love with money so much that they sacrifice everything at the altar of mammon. And why do you think they do that? You read any business book across the world, you, you pick up anybody's business book that they've written, how you can get rich and how you can be a millionaire. You pick it up, you open it. They'll tell you, to be rich, there is always sacrifices that you have to make. Have you ever read that? You go read any business book, it will always say there's sacrifices that you have to make. And you look at the, mo the most of the millionaires, the multimillionaires, and the billionaires, you'll see one thing in common. Either they're divorced, or their children are dead, or one thing or the other has gone wrong with their lives, but they're billionaires. Are you listening to me? Their billions come with the price of sacrificing their lives, their happiness, their joy, their peace, their families, everything at the altar of mammon. And because of the price that they pay, they get rich. But the Bible says, the blessing of the Lord, how many of you know this? When God blesses you, He will add no sorrow to it. When you are blessed the way God wants to bless you, there will be no sorrow in your life. There will be nothing that you have to lay at the altar and say, oh, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice this. The only thing that God asks you to sacrifice is the love of money itself. But here's the thing. I'd rather sacrifice the love of money on the altar by giving then sacrifice my family, my joy, my happiness, my peace, and everything that I have just to have a bunch of zeros in my bank account. I've spent a lot of time with millionaires and multi-billionaires. A friend of mine, you know, in India, he's 
a multi-billionaire. When I say multi-billionaire, I mean they're really rich. They have, I mean that's implicit, but what I'm trying to say is they have like factories and they have schools and institutions and universities, banks, you name it, they own everything. And uh, one day I went, went, went over to their home and I sat with them and uh, his mother and him and her, his dad were all sitting together with me. And uh, the mother had just met with an accident and she just had like, uh, you know, she broke multiple bones in her body and she went to all kinds of doctors. It's been over a year. She had, she had no hope whatsoever. The doctor said, you will have to live with pain for the rest of your life because your bones literally snapped off. So there was nothing to do. And I was sitting there with them and she was telling me this and I'm, she's like, I'm not doing good. I don't want to live anymore. If I walk, I have pain. If I talk, I have pain. You know, I can't even take a shower without being in pain. I looked at her and I said, with all your billions, can nothing save you from this? She looked at me and she said, I tried everything. I said, great. But you haven't tried one thing. And she said, what's that? The name of Jesus. And they're strong Hindus, okay? And she said, can you pray for me? I said, absolutely. I laid my hands on her. You know the way I pray. I laid my hands on her and I went, in the name of Jesus! She fell over like smack on the floor. She got up. And she moves around and she says, there's no pain. There's no pain. There's another millionaire friend of mine that I've spent time with. And uh, I was on his boat one day in India. He, he bought this beautiful yacht. And, you know, I love yachts a lot, you know, because <laughs> when you have rich friends, you know, you get to hang out on a lot of yachts. And uh, one day we were hanging out on, on this yacht and the guy looks at me and he says, you know, I hate my life. And I said, what? You hate your life? I'm like, what are you talking about? We're sitting here in like a million dollar yacht. Like, you hate your life? And he says, no, I hate my life. And I said, why? What happened? He says, I can't sleep at night. I'm always thinking about the next debt that I need to pay off. I can't sleep. I don't have peace. I lost my wife. I lost my children. I lost all this. And I have no peace whatsoever. He says, what, what do I do with all this money that I own without happiness? He says, I'm not happy. I looked at him, my heart broke for him. And that's the day I realized money will never make you happy. Are you listening to me? And when I saw that, when I, when I, when I had the experience with this particular guy, it broke my heart so much to such an extent. I spent the whole week with him praying, teaching him the word. He said if I didn't stay with him, he would have committed suicide the very next day. Why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you all this to make you understand that the love of money is what unifies the world. But with us believers, the one thing that should unify us is the gospel and the gospel alone. And that's why I don't save money. Every penny that I have, it goes into the gospel. I don't even have a savings account. 
Are you listening to me? People believe in savings account, great, fantastic, good for you. What's going to happen to all your savings when Jesus comes back? Who's going to use that money anyway? You know what my savings account is? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. That means as long as I continue to sow, my savings account in heaven continues to increase. And the world's economy might die, but my finances will never die down. In the midst of this pandemic, I've sowed more than I have in the past two years of my ministry. I remember one day my staff called me up. You know, I, um, you know, obviously I take a salary from the ministry now, but I never used to before. I start taking it after the Lord rebuked me. And <laughs> you, see, you can see a pattern here. But the Lord rebuked me and he, and he said to me, he said, no, you need to be the first one to get a sal salary in your ministry. And, I, and that's why I started taking But before that, I never used to take a salary in the ministry. And whatever I made with my businesses, I used that for my personal life and everything else went into the crusades. And uh, here's what happened. One day my staff called me up and he said, Sir, I think you should start taking a salary. I said, why? He says, well, for one very simple reason, because you don't have a stable income. And you need to have something that comes in every month. I said, why? And he says to me, for one very simple, simple reason, because you know, I'm handling your accounts and I know. And he says, you need to have a stable income because if you don't, then the banks will never give you a loan. He said, what if tomorrow you, you want to buy a house? You need to get, be able to get a loan. I got so pissed off. <laughs> I was like, I was angry. I was raging. The only scripture that was on my mind at that time was be angry and sin not. Because I promise you, I was about to kill somebody. And when I heard that, I said to him, how dare you say that to me? And he was, he was like, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to help, I'm just trying to help. And I said to him, don't you ever come back to me and say this to me ever again. He said to me, why? And I said, for one very simple, let me tell you this. He said, understand this and never forget. And that's why you'll never ask me this question again. And he was like quiet on the phone. And I said to him, if you ever think that there will ever be a day when God will not provide for me, that I have to go to an earthly institution and beg for money to buy my home? Are you kidding me? I said, I promise you heaven will never run out of money. I said, I will never take a loan as long as I shall live. My ministry will never have debt, and neither will I. And I promise you, in our ministry, we have never taken a loan to this very day. We are totally, completely debt-free. Including our businesses, we're debt-free. The banks keep offering us loans like every day. I'm like, no thanks. They come to my office to sit with me and say, you can pay it off. It's not a big deal. You have enough money coming in anywhere. I said, no, I don't want your money. And people think I'm extreme with that. 
And some people ask me a question. So tell me, what is the secret of never being in debt? Have you ever had that question? What's the secret of never being in debt? I'm going to give you a great revelation today. Don't take a loan. It's as simple as that. Really. Don't take a loan. You know why people get into debts? The love of money and the love of material things. Hello? Got quiet in here. <laughs> I'm telling you things that will help you in the future. Some things are not always easy to hear, but they're the ones that will help you, you know, in the long term. And uh, the reason I've never taken a loan is not because of any, for one reason, because I, I always trust God for everything that we need. I love what Evangelist Reinhard Bonke told me. I was like barely um, 12, 13 years old when he said this to me. And I obviously didn't have debts when I was 12 or 13, you know. <laughs> the biggest debt I had was like probably my Xbox, you know. And uh, <laughs> so Reiner Bonke looks at me and he says, I'll tell you something. Remember this the rest of your life. I said, okay. And I looked, I paid attention to what he was going to say. And at that moment, I didn't understand it, but I understood much later in life. And he said this to me. He said, Ankit, remember this. Sit on the floor till you can afford a mat. Sit on a mat till you can afford a stool. Sit on a stool till you can afford a chair. Sit on a chair till you can afford a throne. He said, the reason people get into debt is because they try to go from the floor to the throne. Are you listening to me? And that changed my life. And I always remember that. That's what I never tried to do. Unless until there's a gift of faith that comes on the inside of me. And the Lord says, go do this. I go do it regardless of how much is in my bank account. But every time I step out in faith, the money always follows me. I've never lacked my whole life. I don't even know what lack is. It's a good place to be in. Why am I telling you all this? I'm coming to a point. I want you to quickly open your Bibles with me. We're going to read uh, Numbers chapter 13, verse 28. I should read from verse 1. Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Now, as you know in the Bible, God promised the land to Abraham way before the time of Moses, yes? Now, when God promised that to Abraham, he promised him that it was going to be a land. And then when God spoke to Moses, he promised him it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be great, blah, blah, blah. God gave him a whole description from Abraham and then to Moses again. Land flowing with milk and honey. That was the promise of God. But then here's what happens. When God says to Moses, go spy out the land, this is what happens. Verse 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land. Say with me, Moses, Moses. 
sent them to spy out the land. Okay. Now, this is what I find very interesting. So if God told Moses that I'm sending you to a land flowing with milk and honey, that means it's a good land, yes? Hello? How can a land flowing with milk and honey be a bad land? It has to be a good land. Continue reading. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way to the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad. Are you listening to me? What did Moses say? Go find out whether the land is good or bad. When God said it was going to be a land flowing with milk and honey, Moses goes around and says, no, find out if the land is good or bad. And Moses wonders why he didn't enter the promised land. Are you listening to me? And he says, go find out whether the land is good or bad. A lot of times, a lot of believers, they know the word, they know the truth about sowing and reaping. They know every single thing. But unfortunately, they come to a point in their life, they're like, Oh, if I have to give, I'm not sure if I'm going to be blessed. God is not a man that he may lie. Every word that comes out of his mouth is true. Every word that comes out of his mouth for your life is going to happen. If you ever question what God has spoken to you, then you won't enter the promised land. A lot of people have prophetic words all the time. The Lord is going to bless me. The Lord is going to prosper. And they come to me and say, why am I not blessed? I've, I've had all these prophetic words. For one very simple reason. Though you have a prophetic word, you're not stepping into it. Though God has spoken, He's going to bless you. He's going to prosper you. You don't actually believe it. You know what a man or woman that believes something does? They act on what they believe. He who sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. He who sows bountifully, reaps bountifully. If that's the truth, then why don't most Christians give? Don't we all read the same Bible? Obviously, but some are rich and some others are not. Why do you like talking about giving so much? Well, why do you not like talking about giving so much? That's a real question you need to ask you today. I like talking about giving because I know it works. You don't like talking about giving because you don't like to give. Only stingy people don't like the offering message. I'm the most excited person whenever somebody uses an offering. I'm like, yes, it's time to empty my bank account. Now, here's what I want you to understand. And I'm getting to a close on this, but pay attention to me for the next few minutes now. Now, God spoke to Moses. I'm taking you in. To a land that is flowing with milk and honey and Moses doubts. But here's what I want you to understand. The same promise was even given to Abraham that God would take, him, take them into the land. Yes? Now I always, always ask God this question. God, if that's the case, then why aren't believers rich enough? Why do the unbelievers continue to get rich, continue to prosper? They are millionaires. They are multi-billionaires. But believers are not. So I asked the Lord, why is that happening? I was frustrated. I asked the Lord, why? And this is what the Lord showed me. 
He said, when I promised Abraham that I would take him to the land and I would bless him as descendants and multiply them. The Lord said, the day I made that promise to Abraham, I sent the Amalekites. I sent the giants into the land to till the land, to take care of the land, to make it into a land flowing with milk and honey. So when the right time came, when my people had to possess the land, they did not have to toil and till and fix the land and turn it into a land flowing with milk and honey. All they had to do was go and possess that land and it was theirs. The reason you will turn into millionaires and multi-billionaires, one very simple reason. They already did all the work. Bill Gates did the work. Jeff Bezos did the work. They're sitting around thinking, oh, look at this. I have all this. What he doesn't know, we're coming to take possession of the land. This is the final hour where there is going to be a divine wealth transference that is going to come into God's people. And I promise you, there will not be lack to be such a surplus of finances that the kingdom will not lack. And suddenly you'll start, things to see, you'll start seeing them turn around. We will start erasing and wiping out anything that we don't like. I don't like this show. Great. Let's just buy CW. All right. I don't like this show. Let's buy ABC. The Lord will give us so much wealth that whatever that does not align with the word of God, we will say we will buy it and we will change it. Hallelujah. Isaiah 61. Everybody knows the scripture, I'm going to read it to you anyway. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. I had a preacher once uh, tweet this, and uh, I kind of was like a little annoyed with that tweet. He said, I don't like preachers who always call themselves anointed, who always say that I'm anointed. I said, great. I, I immediately replied, and I said, then Jesus wasn't anointed either. He was so full of pride that he called him, that he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. He had nothing to say to that. He was upset with me. He didn't talk to me after that ever again. But that's okay. I say it all the time. People don't like it. Look at that guy. He's so arrogant. How dare he say that? Okay, let me explain this to you. Give me a bottle of water. Why is there no bottle of water here? Now, let me ask you a question. You see the bottle of water? Is it pride to say that this bottle has water in it? Yes or no? Jeez. You're, you're thinking about it like, oh my gosh. I'm not sure. Again, I'll, let's do this one more time, all right? For you skeptics out there. <laughs> Gotta cast that demon out of you. <laughs> Is it pride to say that there's water in this bottle? No. 
then is it pride for someone to say, I'm anointed? Exactly. But let's continue reading this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise, the Spirit of heaviness, and they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. Now this scripture, the first half, talks about a spiritual anointing. You understand that? A spiritual anointing is something, when you see something that you don't like in the spiritual, you fix it. You understand? Now, you, now uh, let me step back further. Let me tell you this. Now when you see somebody that is sick, be it they have a headache, they're blind, whatever their issue is, you think it's a physical problem, it really isn't, it's a spiritual problem. It's a spirit of deafness. It's a spirit of blindness. It's the spirit of cancer. The minute you start thinking that sickness is natural, that's where the problem is. Sickness is not natural. Sickness was never planned when God made the earth. So with the spiritual anointing, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to set the captives free. When you see somebody sick, what do you do? You heal them. Yes? That's what the anointing does. The spiritual anointing gets, gives you the power to change things in the spiritual. What has this got to do with the message of giving? I'll explain it to you. Verse 4. Everybody stops at verse 3, but verse 4 is still, still around. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. And they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. And the, son of the sons of the foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. And they shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. And their, in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. Now, here's my favorite part. And the Lord spoke to me and said this to me. He said, son, all those who are faithful with the spiritual anointing, I will give them a physical anointing. You didn't get that. The Lord said to me, all those who have been faithful with the spiritual anointing, God will give them a physical anointing. You know what the anointing itself means? The anointing means authority. You are anointed. That means you've been given authority to do something. Hello? You understand that? Now, when God gives you a spiritual anointing, that means a spiritual authority to set captives free. Those who are faithful with that authority, God will give them another kind of authority, which is the physical authority. And what's the physical anointing? Finances. Are you listening to me? He who has wealth has authority to change things on in the physical. Are you listening to me? 
When you start becoming faithful with the spiritual, God will trust you with the physical. And he will anoint you every time you see something that does not align with God and his will. You'll be like, I'm going to throw a bunch of money at that and change it in the name of Jesus. Hello? That's the place that God wants to bring us to. All of us think small. You know, we're all like, oh, you know what? I want to have a company that throws in a few millions. A few millions is not going to cut it. I'm not praying for millions. I'm praying for billions. Every single person here has the capacity to be a billionaire. I'm, tell, I'm saying that again. Every person sitting here tonight has the capacity to be a billionaire. The only thing that will stop you is the love of money. The minute you sacrifice that love of money at the altar, God will look at you and say, you give value to my spiritual anointing more than you give to the physical anointing. So because you take care of the spiritual things, I will also give you the physical things. But till you're not faithful with the spiritual, God will never give you the physical. But how do you get there? By becoming a giver. Why do we give? To get rid of the love of money. To come to a point where no more does it hurt to even give anything away. I'm telling you, in all honesty, I've come to a point in my life where nothing that I own matters anything to me. Nothing. I say this before God. It doesn't mean anything to me. I'll tell you this crazy story, and I'm going to hide a few details from you so people don't foam at the mouth. But one day, you know, uh, I was preaching down in Orlando, and this is a true story. And uh, as I was preaching there, a man came up to me, a businessman came up to me and gave me a Breitling watch. And I wore it. You know, I've, I've had a bunch of Breitlings before. I'm not really impressed by expensive watches. I do love watches, but you know. And he gave me the Breitling watch, and I, I knew this was not for me. So what did I do? I was coming here to pa see Pastor Rodney. So I came, I dropped the Breitling watch and said, Pastor Rodney, this is for you. And I went back to the service. And I didn't think anything, anything of it. You know, that watch is probably worth about $8,000 something, I'm not sure. And uh, I went back. I started preaching that night again. Finished preaching, walked into, my, walked into the green room. And the same businessman comes back up to me. And he says, I don't know why, but the Lord forced me to give this to you today. And I said, what do you mean? And he's probably watching me right now. And he says to me, this is what the Lord wanted me to give you. And he pulled it out and he handed it into my hands. When I took it in my hands, I was like, what is this? I looked at it and I said, it was a beautiful watch. And I, I looked around and I, I checked it and I didn't think much of it. I took it with me and I went. But then I went back to my hotel room and just to check what the watch is, blah, blah, blah. I just checked. I found that it was a $25,000 watch, which was made out of solid gold. 
And there are only 100 watches like that made in the world, in which this was number 66. So it's a limited edition, expensive watch, gold, whatever. I worked for like seven, eight months very proudly. I was very happy. I was like, this is nice. I'd purposely walk into like watch stores every couple of days just to show my watch on them. That's a great timepiece, sir. I'm like, I know. So I enjoyed that for seven to eight months. And uh, anyway, so here's what happened. I was, I was basically about to fly from in India to America, and you know the story, you know, in a horrible tin can filled with uh, people coughing and sneezing and like rubbing against me throughout the flight, which was not great. And uh, the issue was I wasn't sure if, if I was going to be let into the country here because all the borders were closed when I came in. And I was actually, I walked up, you know, uh, to the bathroom, and I was in, in there washing my face, and uh, the watch was on me, beautiful watch. The watch, and I, I looked at it, and I said to myself, that's a beautiful watch. And I looked, looked at myself, and I said, it looks good on you, man. And the Lord spoke to me and suddenly said, it's time to get rid of it. You know what I did? No. I was like, heck yes. Tell me where does it go? I came and I sold that watch immediately. I didn't feel an ounce of pain giving that watch away. You know why? God can give me anything, but I will love nothing that he gives me. As long as your love is on him and not on the things that he gives you, he will continue to bless you. He will continue to prosper you. He will continue to increase you all the days of your life. And you will never know what lack is as long as you shall live. The only thing that you need is to get rid of that love of money. You get rid of it, I promise you, God will bless you and give you whatever you need. You're like, oh, you need this done. You need that done. You need this done. When I started my ministry, we weren't this rich at all. Like, we barely had anything. We'd just live from crusade to crusade because we would spend it on that and we're done. We didn't have anything for our personal lives. But God started blessing me so much. From a, from a home where we barely had, my, my parents' house, when, where, I was, where I grew up, was probably from the, that seat there to that, you know, uh, piano there. That's it. That's the entire house. No rooms, nothing. We had like, we had, uh, we had basically, what we did was we bought a bunch of curtains. We just hung it up and made it into, made it into a room. The middle one was mine. The one on the far right was my parents. And the one on the far left was the guest bedroom. That's all we had when we started ministry. My family, we come from a very rich family. But what happened? My dad decided to follow Christ. And my grandfather decided to disinherit my dad and take away everything. We come from a very, very rich and respected family. But my dad had to live on the streets, preach the gospel from house to house. He had no choice. And so that's how I grew up. But from that place to where I am today, where I'm driving a BMW 7, Somebody the other day just dropped off a Mercedes GLC as a gift. Just like that. Like, I, I didn't even, I wasn't even praying for a car. 
One fine morning, I woke up and my staff came and said, hey, there's this new car. I'm like, great, whose car is it? He's like, it's yours. I'm like, mine? What? He's like, somebody just came and dropped it off today. I was like, nice. But what, what am I trying to say? When, when, you're, when you don't love any of these things, God will give you anything. It won't matter. I've given away lands. I've given away finances. Just in the past three weeks, I think our ministry has given away almost about three, three and a half weeks. We've given away almost thirty-five to $40,000. Just in the past three to four weeks. Are you worried? What if finances don't come back in? I'm not worried. I don't have a savings account. Not saying you shouldn't save. It depends on your faith. I mean, my faith is here, but I don't know about your faith. But what I'm trying to say is as long as you keep your eyes on Jesus, as long as you continue to sow, and as long as nothing and no wealth and no finances have a hold on you, God can bless you with anything that you need. But to get to that point, you need to get rid of the things that you love the most. What's, let me ask you today, even the people watching me, what is holding you today? Bring the camera close to me. Zoom in to my face. That's it, bring it in. Let me ask you today, every single person watching me across the world right now, what is that one thing that's holding on to you right now that you love, that you have a difficult time giving up on? Today, it's time to make that decision that your love for God will be above whatever you have today and whatever you own. If there's any financial wealth, whatever it is, that is holding on to you, that you have a love for, today is the day to give it up. And when you decide to show God how much you love Him, I promise you, He will show you how much He loves you. So today, I want you to make a decision. I want you to check yourself. Chickity, check yourself before you wreck yourself. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, I am 25 years old. I'm not a 70-year-old grandpa. No offense, the grandparents here. But everyone here today, I want to ask you a question. Where is your dependency? Where is your hope? What owns your heart today? Get rid of it, and I promise you that the love of God, when, I'm telling you, when you get rid of that that's holding you, you will walk in a realm of finance that you never thought you would. I feel an anointing today on this place. The Lord is speaking to many people today about what you need to sow. When nothing has a hold on you, God will give you everything. If you hold on to what you have and say, you know what, I trust this, you will never be able to trust God. And God will never be able to trust you. 
That's why the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. Because a cheerful giver is a person who has no attachment towards the things. I'll finally end with this story. I was on a plane once and, uh, within India. And just so you know, Buddhism started in India. That's where it began for the people who don't know. Then it went to China and everywhere else. But it actually began in India. The biggest monastery is in India right now. That's where it began. And so I was flying from that city down to my city. And there was a Buddhist monk who was sitting next to me. And as he was sitting next to me, he looks at me reading my Bible. And he says, are you a Christian? I said, yes, sir, I am. And uh, the minute he said that, I was like, it's time to preach the gospel. <laughs> he looks at me and he says, you're dressed what? I said, you kind of are too, you know, because he was wearing one of those robes and whatever. So I, didn't, I couldn't lie. So I was like, you kind of are too, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then as I'm sitting next to him, you know, he, he looks at me and he says, I see you're wearing an expensive watch, expensive clothes. And so you're a preacher? I said, yes, I am. If you're a preacher, why should you own any of these things? And he started preaching to me about Buddhism. Biggest mistake of your life. <laughs> he looks at me and he says, you know, in Buddhism, we believe that we, you should, we should have no desires whatsoever. The only desire that we have is to not have any desires. <laughs> I was like, very interesting. I looked at him and I said, so your only desire is to not have a desire. So, so my question to you, isn't not have, having a desire to not have a desire a desire? Yeah. <laughs> and he looked at me like, And I said to him, let me explain this to you. I said, number one, first of all, you're flying in a plane with me. So there's something wrong with this whole scenario. You should probably be walking down to my city. Uh, B, you're wearing shoes, but you probably shouldn't be. And C, you have a desire. So basically, your Buddhist religion, whatever you're following, you're not really following it. He was so upset with me. But I said, let me tell you quickly about Jesus. I said, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And I said, my God is a giver. And so am I. And I said, here's what I want you to understand. I told him a whole bunch of things that I own. He was like. <laughs> and look at him and I finally said, I might own any of these things. But I don't love any of these things. That means I reached enlighten, enlightenment where before you did. And his jaw dropped. I led him to the Lord. He gave his life to the Lord. End of story. Whatever. But but today I want to ask you, what is it that has a hold on your life? Today is the day that you have to make the decision to give it up. It's good when it hurts the first time, the first few times. Then you know you're doing it right. And eventually there will be a time, no matter how much you give, it will never hurt again. And that's when you know you're in the right place. It will never hurt again. And when you're there, there will be a constant flow of wealth. 
it will be like a flow of wealth. Hmm. I feel the anointing upon this place today. <laughs> How many of you are ready to possess your land? Now, every eye, eye be closed, every head be bowed very quickly. Everyone who's watching me across the world, every eye be closed, every head be bowed. Just take a moment right now. Let the Lord speak to you what you need to give. Do not give out of compulsion or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Be a cheerful giver today. Ask yourself, what is it that has a hold on your life? And today, give it up. Your wealth is not going to save you from this pandemic. Your, whatever you have saved up is not going to save you from what is to come. You rather be dependent on God who will always answer you every time you have a need than be dependent on a bank account that may or may not be there tomorrow. So today make that decision to give whatever is holding you up today. It might be a difficult choice, but it will be the right choice. And when you do this today, I promise you, as long as you shall live, you will never lack in the name of Jesus. You will overflow all the days of your life. Those who are watching, even the people here, I want you to understand, the days of your lack is over. The days of waiting are over. Now is the time to make that decision. And the Lord will throw open the floodgates of heaven. He will pour into your bosom. The only problem that you will have with your wealth is where to store it. Let me ask you this question. Is there faith in the house tonight? I said, is there faith in the house tonight? Then let it be done according to your faith in the name of Jesus. If you're excited about tonight, give the Lord a mighty hand. There's such an anointing in this place here tonight. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, I welcome your presence here. Thank you for your sweet, sweet presence. We love you, Lord. You do what you please. All of this is about you and everything you must increase and I must decrease. And you alone deserve all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. Tonight is all about you, Lord. I pray that a fire burn on the inside of every single person tonight. Those whose fires have been quenched, I pray that there be a reigniting tonight in the name of Jesus. I pray that whatever once was dead will come back to life in the name of Jesus. Their dead situations, their dead health, their dead finances, everything that was once dead will not remain dead. But by the power and by the fire power of the Holy Ghost, 
everything will come back to life in the name of Jesus. I give you the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Just please be seated. There is such a holy presence of God here tonight. How many of you are here for your healing as well? Just show me your hand. Pick, quickly pick your hands up. All right. Quite a few people here tonight. Hallelujah. Now pay attention to the next few minutes. And I believe that what I'm about to share with you will ignite a fire on the inside of you. I pray... That by the end of this service tonight, you won't be able to sit quiet. You will have to run out of this building, find every sick body, and lay hands on everything that moves. <laughs> Open your Bibles with me. Second Kings chapter 1. We'll read verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 1, we'll read from verse 8. Can you increase the volume on, on my mic, please? Thank you. So they answered him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. It's a great place to start. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So he went up to him, and there he was sitting on top of a hill. And he spoke to him, man of God, the king said, come down. Verse 10. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, say with me, if I'm a man of God. <laughs> Loudly, if I am a man of God. He must have been quite the arrogant guy. If I am a man of God. If you said it in today's world, people would be like, the guy's insane. But Elijah said, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Then he sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50 men. And he answered and said to him, man of God, thus has the king said, come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to him, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Where did Elijah get this boldness from to be able to say, if I be a man of God, let the fire come and consume you and your 50. Hello? In today's Christianity, we're shutting down our churches, running and hiding behind our pulpits, in our homes doing broadcasts, while the world is making fun of our God. People can only make fun of your God when you don't know who your God is and when you don't know who you are. 
But when you come under the anointing of God, where you know you are anointed, when the people who come against you and your God stand before you, you will look them in the eye and say, if I be a man or a woman of God, you and your 50 will be consumed in the name of Jesus. Today I declare and I decree across America that God will raise up men and women who will know what they carry. And every time my God is made fun of, they will stand with the boldness and they will say, if I be a man of God, let the fire come. And there will be no denying that power of God. Do you think my God in the Old Testament is different from God here now in the New Testament? You know what the problem with Christians is today? When they see Jesus now, this is how they picture him. Him with the sheep. Just a lamb on his... I'm tired and sick of people showing only Jesus on the cross. I'm tired and sick of people just showing Jesus as a man who holds a lamb. But let me remind you today, he is also a God that answers by fire. Every time his people called on his name, he has never failed to answer. I remember one time I was uh, preaching in a place called Mumbai, Bombay. How many of you have heard of Bombay? Yeah. Now, I was preaching in that city. And it was a four-day crusade. I couldn't make it for the first uh, two days because of a couple of things that I was dealing with. And, you know, um, I had other people preach there and whatever. And I, I landed up on the third night of the crusade. And my staff calls me up and they tell me, we have an issue, sir. I said, what? For the past two days, there have been anti-Christian groups that have been outside the crusade ground, breaking everybody's car that tries to come into the crusade ground. And they've been stopping, from, stopping people from coming into the crusade. And he said, some of the cars have been set on fire. That's why the crowd is low, the pastors are in fear, everybody's afraid. And they said to me, this is, the, this is, this is what ticked me off. All those, okay, you burnt a few cars, whatever. I'm used to it. Burn a few more, if that makes you happy. But this is what pissed me off. The leader of the, the group, the anti-Christian group, came to my guy and said, he looked at him and he said, Stop this crusade or we will stop it for you. And I promise you, neither you nor your God will stop us. I was, that, I was like, that's it. On the phone, I was like, I'm going to kill them. 
my staff looks at me and they're talking to me over the phone. They say, you're going to kill them? And they know I'm a very short-tempered guy like that. I'll actually kill somebody. As long as you come against God, I will kill you. Hello? And I was so angry. I landed up on the crusade. My staff comes up to me. And this is a true story. My staff come and sit next to me and say, Sir, I, we advise that we, we don't do the crusade. I said to them, why? They said this. And my staff repeated it one more time. He said, neither you nor your God can stop us from stopping this crusade. Again, I said, I will kill them. He said, sir, we should pray now. Like, we should pray. Let's call the prayer team together. Let's start praying. I looked at them and I said, we're not praying. I'm not going to bother God with something that I can do myself. For all authority in heaven on earth has been given unto Jesus. Therefore, he didn't say, I will go. He said, you go. So that night, I landed up at the crusade ground. I walked up on the stage. Outside, I see a whole bunch of Hindu groups. Just The police were trying to stop the people from you know, damaging the place. They're protecting me. They're doing a great job. And they had these huge plaques held out. Go back and whatever, like all kinds of stuff. I think in one of the videos with me, I asked them to keep it ready. I don't know if you guys have that one particular video I asked for. I just wanted the last two minutes of it. Just keep that ready and I'll probably show that. And so as I was there, I saw them outside yelling and chanting and screaming. And they were, they were making so much noise outside. I was wearing the suit. I walked up the stage like this. I put my Bible like that. I took my suit off. Told my staff, today is not the day for a suit preacher. We're going to get into a fight. And my staff's like, oh my God, no. He's going to do it. We're all going to die. I stood there. I said, for the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. I said, all you idiots standing out there, I challenge you in the name of the Lord. If you dare step into this ground, and we will see whose God is true and alive. For a fire will come from heaven and consume every single one of you. For you will not stop the gospel. And I will not stop declaring the gospel. And I said, here I am. The police will not stop you if you dare come now. You know what happened? All of them on that side suddenly went silent. They just dropped their plaques and walked away. Why am I telling you this? The devil 
will only try to provoke you. He will only try to jest you, try and jest your God. But he's just like a dog. Have you ever driven a car down the street and have you, have you ever, ever had a dog? It starts chasing you. Have you ever stopped the car and just got down and see what he's, what he's going to do? I have. I was driving the car, chased me. I got on the car, just turned away and walked away. The devil's just like that. He'll come chasing after you. But if you decide to stop and say, I'm going to get you. The devil will only jest you and come after you if you keep running. But I've made a decision. I am going to take a stand for the gospel. Even if it means my own life. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. And you think I'm afraid of a bunch of Democrats? <laughs> Bring it on. I've handled more, much more difficult people than them. I've had people shoot at me during a crusade. You think it matters? All right, Daniel chapter 3. How many of you ready for tonight? Yeah. Actually, you know what? I'm going to finish reading this first. I like the next part. Just the last part. I'm going to read this, then we're going to go to Daniel chapter 3. <laughs> Verse 13. Again, he sent a third captain of 50. <laughs> you think the devil learns? Sent him twice? This is the third time. You think the devil learns? Apparently not. Send the people around the third time. You know one thing about the devil? He's relentless. He will continue to come up. And that's why I see Christians, you know, just so complacent. Whatever. Whatever happens, happens. How can you be that way? You know who will carry the power of God? ones who are not afraid. The ones who are not afraid will be the ones who carry the power of God. The ones who are not afraid The devil will always back up when he sees you are not afraid. But if you are, he'll come after you again. For those people who have sicknesses in your body today, it all depends on you whether you're willing to resist him or not. If you choose to resist him today, I promise you, there will be miracles and signs and wonders that will break up. And I'm going to read something to you now that's going to help you. 
Let's, we'll go to Numbers chapter 13 first, and we'll go back to Daniel after that. Numbers chapter 13, we'll read from verse 31. Numbers 13, 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in, in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Say with me. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. You know how Christianity works? You know how the kingdom realm works? As long as you think you're a grasshopper, you'll be a grasshopper. And everyone else will see you as one. But if I say, if I be a man of God, then people will see you as a man of God. And so will the devil. And so will his armies. So will Satan. So will every disease. How did they know that they looked like grasshoppers? They never asked them. Excuse me, sir. So what do you think we look like? Um, you know, I think you look like grasshoppers. Oh, thank you for your opinion. That's not what happened. They decided for themselves that they looked like grasshoppers, what they were. The problem with Christians today is that they've forgotten who they are because there are so many different kinds of Christianities that are available today. What do I mean by that? I was driving with one of my, one of my guys from Australia who handles my ministry in Australia. And uh, he, was in, he was in India with me. We were driving the car down. And he looks at me and he says, why do you think in today's world There's no healings and miracles the way there were back in the days of A. Allen, Catherine Kuhlman, and all these great men and women of God. We heard about revivals all across the world. But why is it not happening anymore? I said for one very simple reason. Today, in today's world, there's so many different kinds of Christianities. There's the illustrative sermon preachers. There's the online preachers. You know what the issue is? They can do without the power and still be famous. Because self-help does well with people. Oh, just, you know, let's, just, let's just talk positive. Let's speak positive. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say you speak positive and you will have a miracle. The word of God is the one thing that has power. It's not about talking positive. It's about the word of God. It's about speaking the word of God. It's about channeling the word of God through your mouth. 
That's what it, it's really about. And people just live in fear. And the churches can run the way they want because there is no need for the power. People can just come preach and just run away from a service. But I made a decision in my life. Every time I preach, I will demonstrate the power of God. Why should I do that? Because I want the world to know that my God is still alive. And he still answers by fire. Are you listening to me today? How many of you are ready for your miracle tonight? I'm going to read one more scripture to you. Today, I want to get you riled up and angry. That's my goal of today's message. 1 Samuel. Chapter 17. We'll read from verse 8. 1 Samuel 17, 8. You all know the story of David and Goliath, obviously. I'm going to read this to you. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of, the, of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then he will be your, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Verse 26. Then, then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Can you imagine the kind of boldness that David carried? Where he stood up there, people can think of that as arrogance. It's not arrogance. It's about who he believed in. Understand this. God will not give you faith. Hello? But God is the object of your faith. Do you understand that? God won't give you faith, but He is the object of your faith. Which means that your faith comes by knowing who He is and what He can do. And when you know that truth, that truth will set you free. And when you make God the object of your faith, you start speaking like this. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of the Lord? I will not stand back and let the world try to defy the armies of our God. 
Who are these uncircumcised liberals? Who try to defy the armies of God? What shall be done to the man who defeats him? That's the question you need to ask. Can you imagine the kind of boldness that David carried to say, who are these uncircumcised Philistines? And tell me how many, how many people thought he was arrogant. Let's continue reading. Verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brothers, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. His faith was considered pride. Do you understand that? People always, when they hear people of faith, they always think they're people of pride. But they're really not. They're just stating the truth, which just sounds like pride to you because you never even attempted 5% of what they did. Oh, look at the way he talked. I don't like it. I don't care if you don't like it. It's the truth. And when you stand by the word of God, when you take a stand for God, God will take a stand for you. Why do you think we've been doing this for 80? Why do you think Pastor Rodney's been doing this for 80 days now? This is night 80. Taking a stand every single night. Because he decided to say, who are these uncircumcised Philistines? You wait and see what's going to happen. You know why you should be at the stand? Because I promise you, by the time the stand comes to a close, there will be one random day where there will be such a move of God that the world has never seen or heard of. One fine day, when everybody least expects it. All it takes is a bunch of hungry people who are not afraid to take a stand. I flew all the way in from India. Why? To take a stand. And I've decided to take a stand here. As long as it takes. I promise you, I did not come here to just do a couple of services and just run away. I'm here to stand with my man of God. Amen. As long as it takes, till things start opening up. I find it funny when people can't even drive down from places that are not too far away from here. Meanwhile, I flew all the way from India during a lockdown when the borders were closed. You know why most people don't want to drive down? Because they're not hungry enough. 
It's a hard pill to swallow, but it's the truth. If you're hungry, you'll get anywhere. You'll get anywhere. You'll make it anywhere. You need to get hungry for the things of God. I promise you, I've been here about close to a month now. And there's literally like, I think, a few nights that I've missed in the entire month. It didn't matter who was here. I was here. Receiving the word. You know why? Because I'm preparing, for, preparing myself for what is to come now. You don't know. You don't see it in your spirit, but I do. I see what God is doing. When I was in India, I was looking at the stand and I said, Lord, that's where something's going to happen. I have to get there. I will do whatever it takes, but I will get there. And I did. Miracles, signs, wonders, they all depend on your hunger. John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we'll read from verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Say it with me. Even now I know. Even now. Loudly, even now I know. Even now. What do you know? That whatever you ask of God, God will give you tonight in the name of Jesus. Even now, I know. Your even now and knowing has got nothing to do with the circumstances around you. Regardless of the circumstance that I face, even now I know. Even now I know. Even now I know. Remember when I was a kid, I was barely eight, eight and a half years old. And uh, I was sitting around with my dad, and we were actually... Um, you know, walking down this place that we always used to walk, you know. And uh, it was this beautiful little alley with just trees and stuff. And so we just walked down the, down the street. And he looked at me and he said, Anki, do you know that Jesus said, you can cast out demons, you can heal the sick, and you can raise the dead? And I said, Really? then I want to cast out demons. Eight years old, remember. Here's what I did. I told my dad, find me demon-possessed people and I'm going to cast those demons out. And trust me, in India, when you talk about witchcraft and demonic stuff, it's not like the little screaming that you get here. 
Those are like little baby demons, like, and they don't really matter, you know. I completely ignore them. It's like, whatever. <laughs> but in India, you have some serious demons. They're very interesting ones, too. So what my dad would do, he told his, his staff back then, and he said to them, find out if there are any demon-possessed people around the areas, I'm going to send my son. It's one thing for a little kid to have that kind of boldness. It's another, king, it's another thing for a dad to send his kid to go cast a demon who's just eight years old. Pentecostal families, right? Jeez. <laughs> so what do you guys do for fun? We cast out demons. So my dad found this, this, this lady that was demon-possessed for I don't know how long. And uh, there was some crazy stuff going on in the house. It was like the doors would move every single night. In the middle of the night, she would levitate. She'd like be outside the house. She'd take her clothes off, run, scream naked on the streets. Blood would flow out of the walls. And every time she would eat rice, it would turn into like this red-colored whatever. And then whenever she tried to drink milk, it turned to blood. Completely messed up. Fun demons. These ones are boring. You know, I'm like, eh, hey, whatever. It's like, shh. But those ones are fun. So we, we had like this um, old motorbike that my dad owned. It was like this old, you know, thing. It was so messed up that every time you turned it, it would make noise. And um, so my dad sent me with one of his guys and we drove down to this house, this little house in like a, you know, in like a corner. And uh, the bike was coming in and as it came in, I heard a scream. And I was like, that's my demon. <laughs> and, then, and then I walked in. And she starts flipping out. Like she starts throwing everything around in the house and she's screaming and she's shouting, she's yelling, she's tearing her clothes. Like it was a whole crazy thing. So me, very casually, I walk in. <clears throat> Look at that demon. Look at the whole family like freaked out, like standing like this. And she turns at me like that. <laughs> she says, why have you come here? In the local language, you know. <clears throat> and I said, obviously to cast you out. I was like, you know, when you're a kid, you don't care. Like, who the heck are you? Like, you know. <laughs> so I'm standing there looking at this lady just staring at me. And the whole family's like standing in the corner of the wall like that. Like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And there was a rule in my dad's ministry. That we never spend more than 30 seconds on, a, on any kind of demon. 
Now you're listening to me. I don't spend more than 30 seconds on any demon-possessed person or case, whatever. I don't care how many demons you have on the inside of you. I don't care if you have five legions. It doesn't matter to me. You're coming out when I say you come out. Looked at that lady. Pointed at her. I'm a kid, 80 years old. Said, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to count to three. And you're going to leave her and never come back. I said, one, two, three. She screamed with a loud voice and boom, she was on the floor. She woke up and she said, where am I? And that was it. She was completely free. I was eight years old. God does not give people senior Holy Spirits and junior Holy Spirits. Uh, you're an 80 year old, so you get a junior Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that falls on an adult is the same Spirit that falls on an 8 year old. And from that day, it was like my pastime. I'd cast demons out all the time. Every two days, I'd have a new demon possessed case. I was like, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. It's like a one-man army, you know, just going around casting demons. And I'm not making this stuff up. You can, you can, you know, you can contact my dad and find out. He'll tell you. <clears throat> I'll tell you this one last story before I pray for people. I remember my grandfather now is from a Baptist background. So they don't know much about casting out demons. Okay, obviously. If you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, the demon will bite you. It really will. <clears throat> and so my grandfather, he had this uh, hospital that he had. And in the local villages, you know, there's, there's like a lot of witchcraft and things going on there. And it's like a whole messed up place. And so people bring demon-possessed people because they don't know what to do with them, you know, or how to help them. They think they're crazy. They don't know what to do with them. Bring them to my grandfather. So my grandfather didn't really know. And so the way it worked was my, my grandfather had, had a large hospital, but he had like this apartment kind of a place for the whole family. So that's where we all stayed when I went over to my grandparents' place. And we hung out there, we ate there, and we had like this huge farmhouse, and it was beautiful. And um, so one day I was in my, in my room, like in the back, like all the way in the back. And there was a demon-possessed lady brought there to the meeting. I mean to the... <laughs> To the hospital. And then when my grandfather saw her, here's what, what, here's what he would do. Every time a demon possessed lady came around, he had like a whole stash of Bibles. Okay? So he'd grab a Bible from there. He'd take a cloth. He would put the Bible like on the head like this. And then tie the Bible around their head. <laughs> to contain the demon. He's binding the devil. I mean, that's. <laughs> so one day he did that. It was hilarious. One day he did that. And I thought it was pretty funny, you know. And uh, as that lady was there and the Bible was tied around her head, she screamed and she said, she didn't even know I was there. She doesn't know my name. She doesn't know me. She doesn't know me. She looks into the corner of that hallway and she says, Ankit is here. Why am I here? And she starts to run outside. They grab her, the restrainer. My grandfather's like, what's going on? And he calls me and says, Ankit, come here. What? She's, ask, she's asking for you. What's happening here? 
And I grabbed a hold of her. In the name of Jesus, you foul devil, come out. And she was freed. And then for the next week that I was there, they brought all kinds of demon-possessed people to me while I was in the hospital. They had a special area for me where I was standing there and casting out demons. My friends that I made there, they were freaking out like, who the heck is he? I thought he was my friend, but he's something weird. Why am I telling you? I'm telling you this because I want you to understand. That even now I know. Even now I know my God is able. He's able now to heal you. He's able now to set you free in the name of Jesus. I thank God that I believe in instant miracles. Yes, the teaching of the word is important, 100%. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not against it. I'm completely for that. I'm all, always for that. But, can you imagine this? Every time Jesus went to heal somebody, he said, here are my tapes. Please listen to it for the next two weeks. Then I'll come and pray for you. So you can build your faith. Absolutely not. I loved what Brother Hagen said, he said, have faith in your faith. Are you listening to me? Have faith in your faith. People are always worried about somebody else's faith, but you have faith in your faith. Jesus had faith in his faith. That's why he saw the sick healed. And even the Bible talks about when he was not honored in his home, own hometown. It doesn't say that he could not do many miracles. Are you listening to me? There's a big difference between could not and did not. The Bible says he did not do many miracles. Are you listening to me? And the Bible says, but he did do a few miracles. That means even if people don't have faith, miracles can still happen. There was a lady that I saw once at a service on a wheelchair. I went to her and asked her, do you want to be healed? She looked at me and she said, no. Can you imagine that? You're on a wheelchair. Do you want to be? No. I'm like, okay. I looked at her and I said, so you don't want to be healed? She says, no. I said, you don't have a choice. I said, I already walked up to you. I'm not taking a back step here. You're going to walk today. I grabbed her, just yanked her off the thing. I said, walk in Jesus' name. And that lady got up and started walking. She was upset with me that she started walking, but she started walking. <laughs> Have faith in your faith. For God is able. And even now I know that he's a miracle working God. You can bring any pandemic you want, any sickness you want, any disease you want. I promise you, the name of Jesus is higher than every other name. And at that name, every knee shall bow. Every sickness, every disease, every curse, every demon shall bow its knees in Jesus' name. The 
devil might say, I don't want to. I don't care if you don't want to. Do we have that video of uh, that crippled kid walking back there? Do we have that? Yes. Can we play that very quickly, please? Who brought him? Who brought him here? Come, tell me what happened to him. He was in his childhood. 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 He was in his He was in his childhood. He was you know, yeah, but now Jesus touched him. Come, come, come. Thank you for healing this precious child. We give you the glory. Only you can do this. In Jesus' name. Amen. This kid was not able to walk all his life from the time he was born. His legs were twisted. He couldn't walk. Let me tell you the backstory behind this healing. I was there in that crusade. And as I was there, there were a bunch of people who came against the meeting. Who were sitting on like the sixth row waiting for me to make a wrong move. My staff told me, they're here, they're watching I walked up and I saw that little kid who was their kid. Wow. And I looked and I said to that guy, I said, today your child is going to walk for the first time. Obviously, I didn't talk about it on the stage, but that's what happened. And I said, your child's going to walk. We prayed for that kid. For the first time in his life, he got up and he started walking all around. And guess what? That family supports my ministry now. You can come against the armies of God all you want. But God will touch you right where you are, where you will not be able to deny the power of the Holy Ghost. For he's not dead, he is alive. And every time that his gospel is proclaimed, the power of God will manifest.
If I be a man of God, this will be the lowest point in your life that you have ever been at. From this moment on, there will only be increase. Your health shall be restored to you in the name of Jesus. Your missing organ shall be restored to you in the name of Jesus. Whatever the devil has stolen, he is going to restore it a hundred times and more in the name of Jesus. If I be... There are so many men and women of God sitting in this room today. If it cannot touch Jesus, it cannot touch you. Say this one time. If you're a woman or a man or whatever you are, just say this with me. If I be, if I be a man of God, And the devil will have no hold over you. It is time for us to resist the devil. And he shall flee. Like the dog that he is. His destiny is to be crushed under my foot. If you've been blessed by our podcast... Connect with us online at www.ankithrambabu.org for more information. Email us at partners at ankithrambabu.org to sponsor our meetings or crusades, enabling yourself to reap the same rewards.